Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice of San Diego, and I'm joined as always. By Andrew Keats, managing editor at Voice San Diego. What's up, Andy? Not much, man. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Fellow managing editor Andrea Lopez Viafania. What's up, Lopez? Hey, Luis. Coming up on the show this week, during the pandemic, the political divide was not just bitter, it was deadly. Our investigative reporters have now finished their review of death certificates from the second year of the pandemic after the vaccine was released and the demographics of who died changed dramatically. Republicans became far more likely to die with COVID-19 than Democrats. And we'll explain the unique comparison that our reporters made between death certificates and voter rolls. And this week, a San Diego City Council meeting got feisty. Tensions between city officials erupted all about an appointment to the audit committee. We have a breakdown of what happened and we'll try to explain why it mattered. Maybe we'll skip that part though. That's all coming up. Stay with us. But first, how adorable was the exchange between our county supervisor and just how excited he was to get the attention of, is he the richest man in the world still? Elon Musk? Uh, apparently he isn't, or at least wasn't for some period of time based uh-huh. on the stock price of Tesla. Can't say I've really kept up on that one. So, yeah. you know, if the stock fluctuations have brought him back to the richest man in the world, don't at me, bro. Well, this this I, is just to answer it. your question. I was trying to type into Google, is Elon Musk the richest man in the world? And I accidentally pressed the first suggestion was, mm. is he married? Oh, <laughs> boy. So maybe he is. Yeah. Somebody out there is a lot of people very, hope. Hope, very hopeful <laughs> very about hopeful. what they're going to be able to <laughs> handle after that Google search. <laughs> But it was adorable that he got this moment. This was uh, Supervisor Jim Desmond tweets on Friday morning. He says, hey, Elon Musk, can we get some help from you on a realistic transportation plan instead of the plan we have now in which they want to tax us out of our cars? Would love for San Diego to invest in the future of transportation and technology. And then uh, Mr. Tweet himself (laughs) 
<laughs> I thought this was fake. Yeah. For a second, like when I saw this screenshot, I know I was like, "This is not real." Yeah, but no, this it's is all, this is very real. <laughs> Mr. Tweet himself at Elon Musk responds, "Sure." <laughs> at Boring Company, and then he yes, and then he tags his company, the Boring Company. And uh, the supervisor responds, perfect, exclamation point. I'll reach out. So uh, Truly, though, it must have been thrilling to him. Oh, my God. I can't imagine what Supervisor <laughs> Jim Desmond's office looked like that day. It was yeah. like alarms. There's yeah. people running around. There's papers flying. Yeah. There's just... It's, we got to arrange in a meeting with the, with the richest guy in the world. Turns out uh, he ended up talking to the Boring Company mm-hmm. uh, representatives that day, I think. Well, this was so. My first thought was was like, oh, f- great, Jim Tesmond and Hassan Akrata finally found something that they agree on, because <laughs> you don't have to be that old. In fact, Jim Desmond was on the board. You don't have to be that old to recall a time when Hassan Akrata, new new in town, new CEO or new now CEO of the San Diego Association of Governments, spent an awful lot of time talking about how when they were building this new regional transportation plan. They were going to invest in the future of transportation technology and specifically would name check Elon Musk and the Boring Company often, both for autonomous vehicles and all that they could do and Hyperloop, a specific technology that had been introduced by uh, Elon Musk some years ago. Do you want me to do And my- the Boring Company. No, I don't. I don't. You don't want me to do the Just impression. leave this reference for the old heads out there who remember your Hyperloop impersonation i do you do remember that <laughs> no i want you to do it uh, okay All right, go ahead. so you get this is a tube that's like 80 miles long it's uh-huh. like it's sucking you through for this time period and i just can't picture what it's like except that you get in and you're like <laughs> <laughs> the best part about it so this we been decided part of my life for so many years oh my right? god it's, it's the funniest i there's very few things i can pull out that make me laugh as much as that kind of like those little tubes they had yeah no that's exactly what it is precisely um, that technology so that except for humans and you go (laughs) 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 anyway uh the yes so we decided on occasion of supervisor jim desmond's i just want to put another point on it though like he's so dissatisfied with this plan and uh, that's fine. You're going to dislike this plan. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't get it. But at the onset of this plan, one of the goals was to include the future of transportation technology and specifically those introduced by the brain of Elon Musk. Hassan Akrata shared that view. Mm-hmm. And now we have the plan. And that's the one that Jim Desmond doesn't like that he's saying, hey, I hate this plan. Could we get some help from Elon Musk? We're it's. Uh, we're just running history through a loop. We're just, this is a, a full time as a flat circle thing. I, and it, there, there's a lot of people over at like KUSI and like Reply Guys who are apparently like determined not to remember things that happened like five years ago. I think there's just a, there's a longing for there to be a, a, a thing you can hold up yeah. that makes everything you don't like obsolete yes and i mean that that was uh, elon musk wasn't it his literal expressed reason for floating the hyperloop was to kill drive it rail yeah to drive attention away from high-speed rail which is let's just it is a boondoggle and a mess i'm 
I mean, I, I don't know what the definition of boondoggle is in the dictionary, but like the amount of overspending and the missed deadlines and the lack of any sort of tangible usable product a decade later seems like it would have to fit. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> regardless, yeah, uh, we decided to round up everything we had about the yeah. uh, curious history of Elon Musk and Sandag. And there was. I want to. Sorry, I'm interrupting one more time here. <laughs> Very sorry, but to be clear, I, I I am an equal opportunity frustrated person here mm-hmm. because there's an awful lot of liberal people now who really hate Elon Musk for reasons associated with how he's behaved about Twitter, how he's behaved around the last election cycle, how he behaved around COVID. Yeah, uh, his whole thing these days. Yeah, who are also determined not to acknowledge that Hassan Akrata <laughs> spent a lot of time talking about how great Elon Musk's technologies were and how integral they would be to this regional transportation plan, which he then, which we then adopted. Now, most of those ideas didn't fit in there, and we'll get to, to how that happened. But I just need both of the very angry people involved in this thing to acknowledge that that all happened. Because it did, and I was alive for it, and a lot of the people right. talking about it were alive for it. And it's real. Well, and you for example, you can't make me feel crazy like this. So Ikrata, this is when he started. He said, quote, the boring company that Elon Musk did. I'm not crazy about Elon Musk per se, but I think his company, his ideas are being adopted by people who want to do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he said he was very excited about the boring company. So just recently, right, just a couple of weeks ago, he, Ikrata, and San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria and others visited Vegas where the boring company has its most... Uh, accomplished uh, uh, it's a choice word it, for it, sure. It's its most um, vivid yeah. demonstration of what it can do, right? Yeah. And it's in Vegas. It's at the convention center there. It's a loop mm-hmm. uh, to help you get to the other side of the convention center, I guess. Uh, and it's 1.7 miles. And uh, they toured it. And it's it's a tunnel. Yeah. And it's just a tunnel. And you can drive Teslas in it, which are, there's 40 Teslas that drive in it. Yeah. And you can get them one and you can go to the other side. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's that's the innovation. It's a right. tunnel with a car in it. But yeah. only Teslas could drive in it. That's right. Because they're because owned by owned the company by. that owns <laughs> Teslas. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, like a, a Disneyland ride or, something. or a train uh-huh. with like- different cars. They're just not hooked together. <laughs> right. What? It's a train of cars. If you're wondering if this it, is as stupid as it sounds, the answer is yes. Okay. It is exactly <laughs> as stupid as it so sounds. So you talked to Akrata and he's about this after he toured it. And he said, quote, if you can use it and your commute went from 40 minutes to five minutes, I'm sure you'd like it. But it, you have to have a, Hes- a Tesla to use it. In my view, it's not a transit bar. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the the idea that the company that was building a tunnel only big enough for, for one car yeah. to go through is not itself a transit project that's going to change our lives. Yeah, that's that's finally settled in. Yeah, We've got and four so, years. And so he told me that they asked that the the tunnel that they have the 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 machine that the boring company uses to bore its tunnels. The supposed real true innovation is their their, their boring boring ability. technology, their yeah. ability to bore because it, it is shockingly expensive and time consuming to bore a tunnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that is prohibitive for many transit projects, and that was what the they proposed to fix when they launched uh, a few years ago. Uh, 
he asked how large a tunnel they could bore and they they can't they don't have a machine that's capable of boring one large enough to fit vehicles that could move large numbers of people so they only have ones are, that are big enough for are you cars. saying that this incredible inroad that our supervisor made with the maybe richest man in the world has yeah. not opened the door to a transformative <laughs> transportation system also wasn't the first time that san diego conferred with that with officials from that company like the best presumably one, the, when they talked they must have just said like yeah we're already talking you know that right the the best one was when they they wanted to do the hyperloop here from yeah. Escondido to San Isidro. This right? was truly the best thing. I watched this in in so Sandag every year they have a retreat. They go out to a casino. Everybody stays for a couple nights. They do a bunch of meetings. They set the the course of their. I spoke their, at one yeah. one time. Okay, great. Yeah, get the important information out. <laughs> um, and they brought in because this was at the beginning where they were going to be introducing all these important technologies yeah, these, to the, the creation of the art vision these provocative yeah. visionaries they brought the hyperloop guy in and at back at that time you might remember that Hassan Akrata spent a lot of time talking about how he was going to have a transit system that was time competitive from any point to any point with driving mm -hmm. you could go from downtown to, uh, San Diego to downtown Escondido in the same amount of time or faster than it would take you to drive during rush hour mm -hmm. And they brought this Hyperloop guy in, and I watched this like I was being pranked. <laughs> I, I watched this like like Ashton Kutcher was about to jump out and laugh at me because the Hyperloop guy comes in. The whole point, the whole reason he's there is to discuss this idea for transit that the director of this organization has already been talking You're about. Get in a tube. It's going to whisk you to Escondido. And like the first thing he says, he's, he's like, yeah, so our technology can't turn at all. It can't, we're not, it's not capable of turning. Yeah. So you need a vast long stretch with no turns whatsoever. And we don't really un unlock the economies of scale for the time savings until you get to like 150 miles of travel. <laughs> now, which happens to be farther than the distance between downtown San Diego and say Escondido. Like by three times or more so right? i'm yeah. just looking around the room like is anybody else realize that this guy is just saying hey this is a waste of time and none of this is going to work for for you mm -hmm. and sure enough it you know it's not in the plan what happens if it turns it's just <laughs> it just it can't do it. yeah you like, explode you just get, get eviscerated yeah, you stop going <laughs> <laughs> yeah vaporize as the guy said during his appearance before a local transit agency. <laughs> this is a substitute for airplanes, not trains or driving. See, I love that. I'm a fan of that. Yeah. Build a tube over you the would ocean. Yeah, I, you, there's is, no question that a normal no airplane is more safe than... <laughs> a hyperloop. <laughs> anyway, so it really tested my uh, sense of sanity to see all this last week. Uh, one other announcement before we get on. Uh, Cup of Cheesemate came out. Cup of Cheesemate. All, all right, let's start here. We've done this before on the show, but let's do this again. Yeah. Cheesemate, if you look it up on the Google, it's going to come back and say that means uh, gossip. Gossip. Mm -hmm. But it's not, right? It's not. I mean, like it can be, yeah. right? It, it, you say like, oh, I got some Cheesemate for you. Like it's gossip. But it's used so often, and I specifically use it like whenever I – need to talk about anything like i got something to tell you something newsy something 
interesting, something crazy. Like it's just it's just a word that people use. So this <laughs> week you put out our first newsletter, Cup of Cheese May. Mm-hmm. This was uh, a revive, a revitalization of uh, the What We Learned This Week column. And it's coming out every Sunday now. Are you yeah. ready to do that? Yeah. Every Sunday, I already finished my second one. Really? So. Mm-hmm. Good job. <laughs> you, Hopefully, these, every these week These A goes students like this. we work with, Andy, come on. <laughs> they prepare all week, and it's all that. And then Andy and I do the politics report at like 4 like p.m. on Friday. <laughs> We're just both sweating. And So uh, it'll be what? What are we talking about here? Yeah, every Sunday. So it'll be a mix of what I found interesting about one of the stories that we ran this week. Uh, maybe a little behind the scenes with the reporter, mm-hmm. um, you know, how they found the story or what they found most relevant. And occasionally I'd like to introduce um, some community members, um, you know, some some more of the like human stories behind some of the bigger policy discussions we're having. So it'll be a mix of things. Uh, my email's open for any sort of feedback or ideas for the newsletter. Um, I'd really love to build a community um, of people who you know are engaged in, in news in that way and want to hear from me. Great. <laughs> and uh, where can we find it? Uh, you can subscribe to it at vosd.org slash chisme. That's C-H-I-S-M-E. So Monday, the San Diego City Council had what might have usually been a routine meeting about who to appoint to the audit committee. The audit committee, of course, was set in motion many years ago to provide a more independent structure and oversight and advice for the city as it examines what's not going so well or spending or other things. Uh, The audit committee and the auditor are supposed to be separate and independent from you know, city operations and the mayor in general so that they can find things out fearlessly, right? Yes. Uh, so Without fear or favor. On the committee uh, is a man named Stuart Halper. Mm-hmm. And he... This is a committee that has both council members and members of the public on the, the committee. Right. So describe Stuart for a second. Stuart Halpern, he's, uh, uh, he's, he's a guy, he's, he's been involved in issues like this for a while, yeah. for instance. Uh, so he's not only on the, the audit committee, he's also on the San Diego Association of Government's Independent Taxpayer Oversight Committee. This is one of the oversight committees that are built into a sales tax ballot measure to uh, assure the public that there's going to be people looking after how the money is brought in and spent and make sure like every time they pass a school bond to build things they always have one of these committees like hey don't worry we got this group that's going to watch through the roof you know having one of those on there would be it would be uh irresponsible if you were going to put one of those in front of the public not to tell them we're going to give you one of these committees we often talk about the world that voice san diego people who know voice san diego and are part of it know the things going on stewart's like right in the center (laughs) yeah exactly exactly (laughs) it's like dead center right and then uh he's also on sandag's audit committee which was created by ab805 which is more commonly known as the law that uh that changed the voting structure to allow uh representatives from the most populous places to invoke their weight and you know essentially veto the decision of what would otherwise be the you know all of the individual cities that work there uh it it did do that but ab805 also created a new audit committee and a new auditor and he's on that audit committee as well the audit and because ab805 was provoked by your investigation that revealed very mistaken financial projections from Sandag and promises 
that bordered on fraud about uh, the financial progression uh, proje- projections, and uh, this was the little the little part of it that addressed that was the audit that right. was supposed to be part of this. That's correct. Uh, okay, so him being on both of those committees though. Uh, became an issue in his reappointment to the city's audit committee. Here was uh, the San Diego city attorney who said that because he's on one uh, committee that oversees the spending and investigates the spending of this sales tax at Sandag, that he might have to investigate uh, city of San Diego stuff. And if he's the audit committee guy here, Boy, that's just a huge conflict. Here was uh, City Attorney Mara Elliott. As we flagged, we do not believe that independence exists today. The Audit Committee is perhaps our most important committee. It is the city's gatekeeper over city's finances. Its role will be even more important as we address a $350 million budget shortfall over the next five years. The Audit Committee is the eyes and ears of the council. Whatever decision you make today should be guided by the city's best interests not by friendships, not by politics, or animosity towards the person delivering the message. So a couple of things she's saying there is that this, this conflict between the two. Now, the conflict of interest law is usually about self-dealing. Yeah, like people who have a company and they're helping decide whether a city should spend money that, that might involve that company, right? Right. That's the heart of the law. Certainly the most commonly associated concern with the law. Yeah. Now, what she's saying is that because he serves this one body, that his loyalties will be confused about who he's serving in these different capacities. Yeah. And, it, and while they didn't intend to and they kept trying to say no, throughout this discussion, they're equating the two principles. Like even Marnie Von Wilpert brought up like, hey, we've had a lot of conflict of interest trouble here. Well, yeah, when you had a broker who was trying to get the city to buy a hotel that he had helped invest in. Yeah. Like that was, that's not the same as two audit committees. Yeah, I mean, I I keep ragging my brain like thinking about like a concrete example of when the lo- your, you would have split loyalties over the auditing of these functions. And like, I, I get it from a legal perspective, but I have a very hard time articulating it from a practical perspective. So the city council members also struggled with the logic of it. Now, what did they actually come up with to help explain this? So this has been going on for months now behind the scenes. The, the Mara Elliott first issued a legal memo last April saying that she believed there was a significant conflict of interest with the one with Stuart Halpern being on the audit committee and that he couldn't be on the audit committee. And that's all been playing out behind the scenes. He, uh, Stuart Halpern hired Gil Cabrera as his attorney to help him deal with it. The partially that's because when they identified this conflict of interest, Mara said that they couldn't represent him in the matter and he needed to get independent legal counsel to help sort this whole thing out. And eventually, this idea materialized that was stated multiple times by members of the city council in a public meeting that posited that Mara Elliott's concern was not actually the legal conflict that she's identified, but instead the fact that Stuart Halperin and and others on the audit committee had supported the idea that the auditor that the city auditor needed 
its own independent legal counsel away from the city attorney. away from the city attorney. And that was going to be uh, put forward as a ballot measure that the city attorney didn't like that. And it ended up not happening as a ballot measure. It got caught in meet and confer. Many would be ballot measures die that way. And this one did as well. And it was a, a issue at, at the rules committee last year. But this was the 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 theory put forward was this has nothing to do with the legal conflict of interest. People went as far as to say, I don't believe that there is any legal conflict, of in, any conflict of interest at all. I think what's really happening here is you are enacting political retribution against Halpern for his support of an independent legal counsel for the audit. Committee. Yeah, here was Vivian Moreno, city councilwoman uh, representing District 8, the south part of the city. And if we go along today with not bringing forward a reappointment of Mr. Halpern to the audit committee, we are complicit in that retaliation. It will have a chilling effect across the city. Every current or future board and commission member will have been put on notice that if they dare to criticize the city too much, that this council will, is willing to allow them to be punished. I mean, like, we're nerds about this stuff, but like, that is not something that is commonly said at public council meetings from one elected official about another elected official. Like a direct, not veiled, not subtle, a <laughs> explicit accusation that she is using her legal advice as a pretext for enacting political retribution against an individual. Well, and in the clip we just played from her, yeah, she at the end of it, yeah, it's she, like you're the only reason you're doing this because she's he, he's your buddy and you like him, or because you don't like me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she said, or you know, uh, animosity for the person delivering the advice. I think what this under which is which is another like harsh accusation against a political official as well, saying like you're willing to vote for something that is against the law because you like the person and because you dislike the person who's giving you sound legal advice, which makes them, you know, like poor stewards of the public trust, right? Like both of these accusations are significant. And serious and uncommon. That's why this is more interesting than who gets to be on the audit committee. Right. What the discussion revealed is there's some very significant instances of lack of trust between these public officials that run the city. Like they are very antagonistic toward one another right now. Yeah. I mean, and and there was more like those are two like shocking things that you, like, you don't hear in public meetings. And there was like five other things that we could easily pull the, pull yeah. the audio for. Now, Halpern know? and his attorney point out, A, that the, he'll be off the Sandag committee in May. Right. And then uh, B, they're like, hey, well, why don't we just leave him on? He'll stay on. We don't have to reappoint him to a whole new term. We'll leave him on until we get a, a memo from the, from the uh, state attorney general who might be able to provide some perspective on whether this is legal. Now, the city attorney comes in and says, well, he's not going to know how we do things here. Yeah. The city, the, the state attorney general is not going to know how, how San Diego likes to do things. And so he might say it's okay. But like, but he, he's just opining on the state law. Yeah. We get to set our own rules at the local level. And I guess- And like, they're going to defer to me and I'm the city attorney and this is what I say. Yes. And and so so the, the council was like, no- and they voted five to three to reappoint him to a full term. Still ask for that letter from the attorney general, which is, 
guess, to, to cover their base or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. It's such an odd discussion, but it gets at the heart of like of the audit committee's independence and these tensions between them. And, you know, how much progress can they make if they keep getting like, there's a few moments now like this we've seen where there is an obvious sense of disrespect and lack of trust between these leaders. Yeah. And so, and then there was this other moment, Monica Montgomery step says, I'm sorry, because the, there's, you know, there's this back and forth with the independent budget analyst who is <laughs> clearly doesn't want to be in this involved in this fight. Yeah. Uh, but they want to stay independent. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's there. It's that office's job to essentially put forward appointee, you know, potential appointees for commissions like this. And so like the fact that there's an opening, it's this person's job to say either we're going to reappoint Stuart Halpern or we need to go recruit, recruit other people. And he really takes exception to the implication in one of Mara Elliott's memos that says that he is doing this because the council likes Stuart Halpern, that they like him. And then Monica Montgomery Step comes in and says, "How did? where did that come from, that, that we're doing this because we like him? If that was said between somebody, I don't like the implication that that's why we're voting. Everybody has a motive for their vote. I don't like the idea that there's a public document out there that purports to say what my motive for a vote is and if something like that was said between you know behind the scenes between officials and you're the city attorney i would assume that that's attorney client privilege and mara elliott takes exception to that and montgomery step says well it seems to me like what is or isn't attorney client privilege depends on how much you want it to be public or not public which is like, again, a, like an astounding thing for a city council person to say about the elected city attorney in a public meeting. And like, if that's, you know, the fact that that's true and that's what she thinks is like, again, a remarkable statement of like a poor lack of trust between these officials. Like they have to rely on the city attorney for legal advice, mm-hmm. for legal counsel. And they they don't trust. Can, they can't trust that her definition of attorney client privilege is even sound and honest. Yeah. So the prediction, easy prediction out of this is that the idea that floated a couple of years ago to make the city attorney a appointed uh, person in city government and elect a city attorney just to do the prosecutions of misdemeanors, which yeah. is insane. Just give that to the district attorney. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like trying to give them a bone or something. Yeah, exactly. But uh, that will, I think, come up again. You know, it requires a change to the city charter, which would be a vote of the people. But uh, it seems obvious that if this continues to build like that, watch for that on your ballot. Yeah, there was also an, an appointed legal counsel moment. I don't know if you, if you saw this. Joe, there was a, an exchange. There was something in one of the documents that said that the legal counsel for Sandag agreed that it was likely that there was a conflict of interest. But then in the presentation... There was, they sort of backed away from that claim and that said that Sandag was just going to defer to the city. And so Jolikava said, well, I, I'm a little confused here. It says in the document that he, he liked that the legal counsel for Sandag likely agrees. Did, did they say that? And they have this back and forth, noncommittal back and forth, which eventually leads to Marellet saying, well, he's appointed. And if you take a look at what I'm going through here right now as an elected city attorney, you can only imagine how difficult it would be for an appointed city uh, legal counsel to bring this before an elected body like Sandag is. 
So, so it basically saying that he's under too much pressure to say what's true. Apparently. That's awesome. This well. is hot. <laughs> I know you guys are all like, you guys are a bunch of nerds. This is this is hot this stuff, content. The, like nothing like this happens in public meetings. This is such hot content. Like my when this started happening on Monday, my like my phone malfunctioned. Like <laughs> like <laughs> I needed to call Apple and be like, start sending me more bandwidth because my phone can't <laughs> handle this. All right, check out this full story and other city council cheese at Andy's own page. Do I have a page of my own? Why does Andy got one? VOSD.org slash Andy. That's VOSD.org slash Andy. I'm going to look for VOSD.org slash Scott. It's probably just, probably just a 404. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. It took a lawsuit and a lot of patience, but eventually our reporters managed to match more than 6,000 death certificates to voter registration records. They wanted to see if one's political affiliation made a difference in that person's likelihood to survive during year two of the pandemic. That's after vaccines were widely available. Reporter Will Huntsbury is here to share what he and Jesse Marks found. All right, well, let me start because I'm imagining uh, a hypothetical listener here Mm -hmm. who's thinking something similar to what I thought when you and I first started talking about this project a Mm -hmm. while ago, Mm -hmm. which is, what did you do here and how does it differ from a similar finding that somebody may have come across in other news stories or on social media that already compared partisanship, political affiliation with the effects of COVID-19. How does your analysis differ from what they might have seen out there in the world? The how I think it is uh, really interesting. The what obviously is that Republicans were significantly more likely to die in San Diego County after the vaccine came out. But um, how this differs from other analysis is that we matched the actual names of the people who died to their voter registration. And, you know, as far as I'm aware, that's not something that's been done for a COVID-19 analysis. You saw a lot of comparisons of voting patterns. If this if, did this county vote Democratic or Republican and did people die at higher rates and those in that county in that county, which and those suggested that Republicans were dying from COVID more because you had Trump counties 
with higher COVID death rates. Right. We didn't do that. You know, we, we took it like uh, several steps further than that, I would say. And we, you know, we ha- already had all these COVID death records. We had the people's names. We had their birthday. We had their address. We haven't released all that information for what it's worth, but that's public information. We got it. The voter roll has the exact same information. It's public. We got it. And we smashed those things together. Okay. So what you were able to say is, long and the short of it is, it's more definitive. We're not using this. We're not using some sort of proxy analysis Mm -hmm. about how counties voted and what those counties experienced and assuming that the underlying particulars matched what the big picture uh you know, results in those places was. That's right. We're, we're actually we're talking, talking about, about people. Yeah, people, actual Republicans, actual Democrats, actual independents. Yeah. That's what we managed to figure out. Okay. So tell me how you did that. Smack, you, you said you, you, you used smashed them together. together. Yeah, the <laughs> smashed them right sounds, together. It sounds so easy. <laughs> a very specific technical term. Smashed yeah. them together. Take this data set uh, that's right. That's right. I'm, I'm kind of like an unlicensed data scientist. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, the so how we did that well it was Jesse's idea um and uh, to do the analysis in the first Jesse place. was like oh well we got these COVID death records we can match that with the voter roll right and I was like yeah yeah we can do that yeah. probably super easy <laughs> yeah no big deal yeah. <laughs> uh, you know um so we got the voter roll it's 1.9 million rows of data so you can't just use Excel. So I had to basically figure out how to use this programming language called R, which I'd used just a little bit in the past. Mm -hmm. We had to use that for this whole analysis. The first thing I did was I created a column in each that had a person's name and their birthday. And I looked for specific matches of name and birthday. That returned a whole lot of matches, um, way more than half of the matches we got. Then we did some other things to clean up the data. We took apostrophes out of names, blah, blah, blah. Then finally, the real like coup de gras in all of it was that I had to figure out how to look for near matches using R. And that took me, uh, uh, you know, more than a week probably. But we eventually uh, found an algorithm that would do it. We looked for near matches. Then Jesse went through each near match and verified if it was an actual match using the birthday, using the addresses like to see, um, you know, so if somebody's last name were Hernandez and it was spelled with a Z on the end in one and an S on the end in the other, we definitely caught that. We caught stuff, you know, more, more liberal mismatches than that, really. Um, so that was how we did the matching then. And when we did that, we matched thousands of the records. For year one, you had 4,400 deaths in San Diego County. We matched 41% to a voter record. In year two, 2,200 deaths matched 57% of those to a voter record. But then we knew we had to- It's interesting. Even just what you said there in year one, one of the things that we know about the deaths in year one was that they were disproportionately immigrants. Right. People who wouldn't be on the voter roll, right? And, and so it's it, it almost uh, passes the smell test that there was a lower match rate during that year in which we know there was a disproportionate representation of deaths among people who wouldn't appear on voter rolls. Right. It's it's kind of exactly what we would expect to see. Yeah. You know that that we match less records in year one 
because more people who weren't registered to vote died in year one. And that's something, you know, uh, something some people who are in the vaccine skeptical camp, let's just call it uh, yeah. euphemistically, what what they came after us online for is, oh, well, what your data clearly shows is that unregistered people died at the highest death rate. And that's not actually necessarily true at all. They are people who weren't registered, but many of them couldn't register to vote. So like understanding that group of people who we didn't match is difficult. We didn't match their record, but they could be a felon not allowed to vote. Definitely a high percentage of them are, were immigrants and not allowed to vote. And also some of them were unregistered to vote. Um, but, you know, that also leads us into the fact that we age adjusted the data. We couldn't age adjust the data for the unregistered people also. Right. You know, should I talk about that? Yeah. So so age adjusting the data. Explain uh, why it was essential to age adjust the data and how that changed your results. Yeah. Yeah. That was another pushback we saw frequently from people online who didn't clearly read, read the, the story. story yeah. Was <laughs> <laughs> shocking I lo- I that, that that happens. <laughs> I, I had no idea. Um, my favorite My favorite comment on Instagram was, um, we love reporting with no data, like someone being sarcastic. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? Like I spent weeks watching Will in front of this giant screen with like millions of rows of data and he's like stressed out and like, oh God, read the story. <laughs> so, so it basically, you know, most, I think anyone who follows politics probably knows that Republicans tend to be older than Democrats. COVID disproportionately kills older people. So you have to adjust for that in any kind of age, in any kind of when you're comparing death rates of populations that are have different structures, you have to age adjust the data. We did that, you know, because if you just look at the un, un- age adjusted data, Republicans were twice as likely to die as Democrats right. in year two. Once but if you we, look at that before the age adjustment, it's possible that you're just looking at the fact that Republicans are older. Exactly. That there's no, there's no other information gleaned from that comparison except what we already know, which is Republicans are older than Democrats. Right, because Democrats to- could be really, really young and Democrats old. And then if you age adjust it, the death rates might flop completely. Right. right. That's not exactly what happened. We age adjusted it and uh, you know Republicans were still 39% more likely to die than Democrats. Yeah. So what's the upshot here? I mean, aside the fact from the fact that we have a, a stronger conclusion than the one that has been drawn previously, what what do we learn about uh, the San Diego region, the political world that we live in, the task uh, uh, facing public health officials uh, at, in you know the aftermath of this pandemic as they assess the field and what they need to do going forward. The fact that that your partisan registration, the party that you affiliate with, that's supposed to be a reflection of your, you know, position on a bunch of other different policies that have nothing to do with how we should behave in the face of a pandemic, but but actually about abortion and taxes and military spending and your <clears throat> your feelings for uh you know uh police accountability or union representation or a million other things. What does it tell us that? Those affiliations had a material impact on whether you on your likelihood to die of this virus. Yeah, you know, I have a couple of thoughts, and the first one I think is pretty obvious, you know, and we didn't even get into it too much in the story, but it says so much about polarization in this country. You know, I think we we know that the country is really polarized, and um, you know, I think. 
we're coming off a, a century of politics in this country that weren't that way. And now it's all beginning to filter into our minds that, wow, there is this bitter and wild divide between the parties and what they think of each other and the information that they do or don't share. It turns out they don't share much factual information that they agree on. And so to learn that that partisan divide would affect uh, death rates in a public health crisis Mm -hmm. uh, because of the information that's being shared, likely because of the information that's being shared in the Republican Party. Certainly some people are going (laughs) to disagree with me on that and have vehemently disagreed on that. But, you know, I'm just I'm kind of blown away at how people just won't look at the facts Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to pretend to be like Walter Cronkite here or anything, but like we just analyzed the data. We just matched the records. And when we matched the records, we found Republicans died at significantly higher rates after the vaccine. You can do backflips and turn yourself into a pretzel to try to spin that some different way if you want. And that is what people have done yeah. online. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I think um the naive hopeful part of me kind of wanted to see people wrestle with this yeah. a little more. And that's kind of what Greg Cox. I was going to say, about. yeah, yeah. One person who who did not dismiss it, who did not try to do backflips was Greg Cox, who was a Republican supervisor in 2020 when the pandemic hit. And he, uh, until he was termed out, was, you know, in large part in, in, in charge of some of the county's response to this whole thing. Totally, totally. Yeah. I I believe he was the board chair, mm-hmm. um, and he was he and Nathan Fletcher were basically leading this committee that was doing all the COVID stuff, and you know the county was really in charge during this public health emergency. Yeah, so you had this like in Facebook Live videos almost every every day. Every day every yes, day, yeah. yeah. I was I was in there with them um, too. Yeah, and uh, you know so and Greg Cox obviously took the pandemic really seriously. Basically, Greg Cox said that. He would love to see Republicans wrestle with this mm-hmm. fact and like, you know, understand that public health and politics like shouldn't really mix like that. When we're talking public health, that should be something that we can all mm-hmm. agree on. And um, so, you know, it was, a, it was it was nice to hear that from him, from a Republican. Um, but, you know, he's out of politics now. So maybe he has the luxury to talk about it that way. Yeah. You know. We're talking a little bit about some of the response that's been apparent online to the story. And there was a different one that I saw that I thought was, if not as unfortunate as some of the people who clearly were responding without having read it, was a, a different response, which was, um, you know, I don't I don't want to give too much credit to a group of uh, anonymous people online. Right. Um, but liberals responding with a certain glee. Mm-hmm. Mm, mm. and um that was definitely there <laughs> it was definitely there and people saying uh, you know f- everything from keep it up to you know sort of uh getting into it with with republicans who were trying to push back and say well hey uh you know you, you guys can keep doing this and we'll keep reaping the rewards as if there was some sort of glib political benefit to uh the opposing the, the opposing side losing numbers right right and honestly that's that's uglier even Mm -hmm. than contorting yourself in a way that that you know refuses to accept uh what 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 the clear results of this analysis were 
Yeah, I mean, this is a a tragedy, <laughs> and yes. and so I guess to see it to see it through that lens, if you're a Democrat, it, it's just everybody trying to own everybody in yes. the public space right now. You yeah. know, they're the the Republicans are owning the libs, and the libs are coming back on Twitter and trying to own the Republicans. Like you're doing this to yourself. Yeah. Good, so be it. You know, we right. we definitely saw responses like that about Republicans dying at higher rates. And, um, you know, and, and we came across that in Lakeside too, right? Our earlier yeah. reporting hinted that Republicans might have died at higher rates because we saw in conservative areas of the county, Santee, Lakeside, Alpine, the death rate literally went up in year two. Right. Even as it went down other places and down substantially. Yes. Everywhere else, basically. Yes. And, but it was, it was the same, you know, it was, it was people with this <clears throat> kind of ugly response. And, well, and, I did the right thing. And so, you know, I guess to the victor go the spoils. That's that's really it's an unreasonable way to look at at dead bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Will and I talked about this briefly yesterday, but like at the end of the day, especially with the lakeside story, I think like you had stories of individuals who lost family members and like these are humans. Like each mm-hmm. of them had family members and I joked with Will like they all got haircuts, like they all brushed yeah. their teeth, like they're all human beings and You know, there was a woman that you guys profiled in the Lakeside story that her husband died in bed next to her, you know, so it's like, right, it's heartbreaking. Right. What's there's nothing funny about he had he Mm -hmm. had he had beliefs and he had those beliefs for whatever reasons, but that doesn't mean it's good or okay that he died. I think we all have to really accept that this is the partisan divide in the country that we live in. And, you know, um how we how we come to a different place uh you know I, I keep writing in a way that i'm trying to have a dialogue with people who might disagree with me i'm not naive enough to think that that's like having some major impact but you know the temperature in the room right now in this country is like so red hot mm-hmm. that it's literally deadly and uh you know i think we all need to be thinking about that and like how do you how do you stop that like brinksmanship yeah and and honestly, it may be as simple as don't don't take don't take the shot. You got an opportunity to to own the other side online. Just let it rest. Yeah. Just go for a walk. <laughs> go for a walk. Get a cup of coffee. <laughs> right. We live in a beautiful city. Just relax. Sit on that tweet for yeah, just, just ten, or on, 15 on, 10 or fifteen minutes. Look out the window. I, try to listen to children laughing. You'll, <laughs> you'll feel better. And then don't press send. Right. <laughs> You can see this story and the entire investigation at VOSD.org slash year two. That's year two written out, VOSD.org slash year two. Thanks for listening to the Voice San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in this part of San Diego, which features the author of the new newsletter, Cup of Cheese It's the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in San Diego that has that author on it. You can get Cup of Cheese May at VOSD.org slash Cheese May. That's VOSD.org slash C H I S M E. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and editor in chief at Voice San Diego. Andrew Keats is managing editor. Andre Lopez Villafania is also managing editor. Nate John is our expert producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.